Would you turn with me um, for the Bible reading this morning? The first reading is just two verses out of Isaiah 49. Isaiah 49 verses 5 and 6. If you'd just like to listen to the two verses and flick to the Acts one, you could save yourself a bit of trouble, I suppose. Isaiah 49, 5 to 6. And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself. For I am honoured in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. He says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob, and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Then over to Acts chapter 9. We're going to read that passage that Nathan alluded to this morning. Um, as we look at this miraculous, amazing um, conversion of, of Saul. But I think Ananias is also a hero of this story. So Acts, oh no, Acts chapter 9, verses 1 to 20. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men travelling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to the holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptised, and after taking some food he regained his strength. 
Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. Good morning, everyone. Great to see you here. Great to be back after a, an extended holiday, if you're not aware. Uh, we had a fantastic time as a family. Thank you for your prayers and uh, concern for our long holiday. Uh, it, was, it was fantastic. Uh, we did see lots of the beautiful, our beautiful country, uh, visited lots of different places along the way, uh, caught up with friends, uh, people in ministry, uh, saw some real gospel needy parts of Australia, which was, was great to see, but uh, for our prayers. And love to tell you more about that. And we visited the Pearsons in the Northern Territory, which was fantastic. Love to tell you more about that another time. Um, it was great visiting churches uh, and uh, as a visitor <laughs> sitting in the back row. Uh, and my girls uh, scored the churches along the way. <laughs> it was really good that when all the scorecards came in, the lakes were still... Still, still up there, so it's good to be back. You guys have asked lots of questions about the trip. One of the questions you asked, uh, in the 15,000 kilometres we did, 27 stops, uh, did you fight? Uh, and um, that's a very easy question to answer, and the answer is, of course, we did, uh, because we're just like every other family. That shouldn't surprise you, uh, but I want, to tell you, I want to talk to you about something surprising uh, this morning. Nathan alluded to it uh, in the intro. Something. Let's talk about surprising things, unlikely things. People, it would seem very unlikely to change. Uh, more broadly, have a look at these pictures. So a picture of Tony Abbott. How likely do you think it is that he would become a green? <laughs> it's very unlikely, isn't it? Uh, Bill Shorten. You know what I'm going to say. How likely him to become a liberal? Israel Folau, very talented sportsman. How likely is it that he would play soccer, uh, be in the World Cup? Actually, probably possible. (laughs) Yeah, he's so good. Um, And Grant Denyer, how likely do you think it is that he'll win a Logie? (laughs) I think that actually happened. Some things seem so very unlikely, don't they? And uh, we talked already this morning how unlikely it seems that some people would become Christian. Um, You can think of high-profile people like Richard Dawkins uh, or Kim Jong-un from North Korea. What are the chances that they would turn to the living Jesus, uh, that they would submit their lives to him, that make that great change? Uh, Maybe you can think of someone in your life uh, that you think, Actually, in my heart of hearts, I'm actually very surprised. I'd be very surprised if they became Christian. I'd be very surprised if they turned to the Lord Jesus. Um, they just seem too far gone. They seem too hard-hearted. Um, they're too sceptical. They're too consumed uh, in life. Uh, they perhaps think they're too important. Uh, it's too humbling for them to admit they're wrong about Jesus. Or they're even just too busy to even consider Jesus uh, and consider the evidence Uh, for the Lord Jesus. As we look at Acts chapter 9, the centre is Paul there, isn't it? Saul, who becomes Paul. Saul, who's converted in a very miraculous way. A very unlikely man becomes a Christian. And let me say up front where we're heading, it it is a very unique event in the salvation plan of God. Uh, It's a very special time. uh, We've seen that in the book of Acts. 
as God unfolds his plans uh, through some key people. This is a pivotal moment. Uh, Really important for us, though, to understand it because this is how the gospel came to us. We want to be really thankful for God working in the life of this one man, Saul. But I reckon there's also some other things we learn from this of how God works, how God works in the world uh, today. Now that the Lord Jesus is risen and we're waiting for the Lord Jesus to return, uh, what, is, what we see here is there's some things we see here which are true of every conversion, of just the way that God does his work amongst his people uh, to build his kingdom. Uh, and I reckon if we don't understand that here in Acts chapter 9, we don't really get uh, what we're even trying to do here at the lakes or what God is doing in our world today. So that's where we're heading. Uh, so turn with me to Acts chapter 9 and uh, have a look at the very beginning of that chapter, Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Uh, and you've got your outlines there with some points to, to help you. But have a look at verse 1. Saul is, is on view and he is a man not to be messed with. Uh, would you agree? Uh, particularly if you're a Christian. Uh, he is a man that you would be afraid of. So verse 1, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, Christians, uh, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So we've already seen uh, Saul on the scene in Acts, uh, in earlier chapters, in, in chapter 7. He is the man who approves the brutal stoning of the disciple of Jesus, Stephen. Uh, in chapter 8, uh, have a listen to this description of Saul. Saul began to destroy the church, uh, going from house to house. This is a calculated man. He drags off men and women and puts them in prison. He is determined. Uh, in chapter 9, as we head into chapter 9, he's heading for Damascus. We've just read, read about that. It's about, it's about 200 k's north of Jerusalem. And he is on a mission. Uh, he, is, he has one goal, and that goal is to eradicate followers of Jesus. But along the way, he's stopped on this journey uh, by some very, a very unusual event. Now, hopefully by now, you're used to unusual events in the book of Acts, yeah? Uh, There are lots of things happening that I don't see happening in Berkeley Vale in 2018. Uh, He's confronted with an unusual event, and like lots of other parts in the book book of Acts, signs and wonders, miracles, all kinds of things are happening that God could do today. Uh, It's completely within the realm of possibility that he could do it. But not surprising, he doesn't do it today, but he did do it in Acts because here is God unfolding his plan of salvation uh, through some uh, pivotal people, pivotal moments in salvation history uh, and like the rest of the Bible where God has demonstrated his power and put the spotlight on this event or this person through signs and wonders and miracles. So I think that's what's, what's going on here. So there it is, Saul on the road to Damascus, confronted by the risen Jesus. He sees Jesus in person. He has no idea that Jesus is now king overall. He has no idea that the very people that he's been persecuting, the very people that he's been dragging off uh, to prison and, and murdering, are actually Jesus' people. And so Jesus confronts him, do you realise 
you are persecuting me, such as my close and intimate connection with my church. Uh, You are persecuting me, Jesus says. But now get up, verse 6, and go into the city because I've got a job for you to do. And so what do we say? Saul is blinded. Uh, He needs to be led into the city of Damascus. There's there's great darkness that comes over Saul. Uh, He needs the help of friends. And God gives Ananias, God gives Ananias the role of actually sorting Saul out in Damascus, doesn't he? In the city with Ananias, Saul receives the Holy Spirit, scales fall from his eyes, he can see again, uh, he's baptised and he's, give, he's given a very significant role in God's plans and purposes. Have a look at what that role is in verse 15. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles, to the nations, to the, to the countries outside of Israel and their kings and the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer, suffer for my name. It is a remarkable change of events, isn't it? I mean, there is the man who killed Christians, uh, who God calls to actually reach new people for Christ, to reach the Gentiles, that is the nations. The man who persecuted Christians will be the man who's persecuted himself as a Christian. Uh, The one who wanted to eradicate Christianity from the face of the earth will become the greatest advocate uh, of Christianity. Uh, He begins the chapter as a murderer. He ends with a new name, Paul, and he ends proclaiming Jesus as the Son of God, as the Messiah, Uh, powerful in his speech and his works, Um, convincing even the hard-hearted religious leaders that Jesus is the Messiah. It's it's an incredible transformation, isn't it? You've just got to stop and think about it, uh, what's actually taken place and the kind of responses people would have had. Can you imagine imagine something like that happening at the lakes? Who is that man who is a great evangelist in our church, who is on fire for Jesus, who is winning people to Christ? Who is that new guy that's running Simply Christianity? Oh, that's Paul. Oh, yeah, what church is he from? Oh, no, he was converted while you were on holidays. (laughs) He's the guy that gave our church such a hard time. In fact, he was a murderer. You want to come along and sip to Christianity? <laughs> that would just be an amazing transformation, wouldn't it? Uh, you'd be filled with awe, you'd be surprised. I reckon you'd be a bit sceptical, which is exactly what happens in, throughout Acts chapter 9. That's part of, part of the just genuine historical nature of, of Luke telling the story, isn't it? You'd, you'd ask the question, wouldn't you? You'd ask the question a couple of times before you turned up to simply Christianity. Um, You'd also wonder, wow, how is God going to use this man for his kingdom? All those kind of reactions are there. But let me share with you four things that have struck me about this, this part of the Bible. Uh, four things on your outline there. The first one is, God keeps his promises. And we keep being reminded of this time and time again. And, and, and I keep getting reminded of this as I come to the scriptures. And I, I feel like a dummy that I should keep just expecting this and even today God is faithful to his promises on one level is is Saul's conversion a surprise should it surprise us or should we actually expect it is it really 
That's surprising when you consider the heart of God, the character of God and the promises of God. You see, God is serious about reaching the ends of the earth with his life-saving gospel. God is rich in mercy. God is kind beyond measure. God is immensely powerful to change people. And the Bible just keeps reminding us of all that all the time, doesn't it? So all the way back to Genesis chapter 12. Here's just a few to remind us. Genesis chapter 12. Uh, what does God say there? He promises to Abraham, I'm choosing one nation, Israel, yes, but out of that one nation, I'm going to bless the ends of the earth. Every nation will be blessed because of Israel. Uh, we're, so we're waiting for that. Joel chapter 2, the prophet says, there's coming a day where I will pour out my spirit on all people. Uh, on all people. Or Jeremiah chapter 31, there's coming a day when I will remove the heart of stone of men and women and I will plant my word, I'll write it on their hearts. Um, I will be their God and they will be my people. Or Isaiah 49, we had read out, uh, I'm sending my servant who will be a light in darkness to the nations. Uh, that, That was God's plan all along. Or Jesus, the risen Jesus in Luke 24, what does he say? Here is the plan. The Christ must die. The Christ must rise again. They've taken place. What is part three? Part three, the gospel must be proclaimed to the ends of the earth, to Jerusalem, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth. It's going to happen. But can you see how God's done it? Such is the, the heart of God, the love of God that and the desire for him to see his gospel of grace go out to the nation, that he chooses a man, the most unlikely man. Uh, Paul, such that Paul can say, I am the worst of sinners. So Paul can say, here is the gospel that's so deeply affected my life. I am the worst of sinners, and yet God's grace is sufficient for me, and it's sufficient for you. God is incredibly kind. Jesus can save. Look to him. Um, that's what that was the message of Paul, wasn't it? Trust him. Uh, his grace is sufficient. Isn't, isn't that wonderful? God keeps his promises. And it's, we've just got to keep remembering that even to this day, haven't we? That those promises are still alive and well, aren't they? God is still building his church. He is still pouring out his spirit. He is still, Jesus is still the risen Lord. Uh, Jesus still promises to build his church. So, it is tough, isn't it? Uh, there is a lot of hardness of heart. But God is at work to change, to bring his spirit, to build his church one by one. Uh, if you believe those promises, they will change your life completely. They've already changed your life, haven't they? Let's keep remembering those promises. They are the promises that will make the biggest difference uh, to our life and priorities and expectations. Let's keep remembering those promises. Second thing that's amazing here, I reckon, is God can do the impossible. Uh, Point number two, God can do the impossible. Now, something you see in Saul's conversion that is true in every conversion is God saves us when we were powerless to save ourselves. Now, it's very obvious with, with Saul, isn't it? Did you notice, Saul is not seeking God. (laughs) He's not a seeker. He's not coming along to find out. He's not open. Uh, Saul is not even close. 
he's completely misread God. He's as far away and in as much darkness as possible. And it took a great work of God to change him, to, over, to even supernaturally overpower him, even physically, that he might see the risen Jesus. That was the only way it was going to happen. Now, here's the thing. That is true of Saul, and that did happen in a particular way and in a particularly unique way uh, in, in Acts chapter 9, but it's actually the case for every person who becomes a Christian. It's actually the case, it, it's what was needed for me, it was what was needed for you. It was true for him, it was true for us. We did not want to come to God. God, in his great power, drew us in. God, in his great kindness and mercy, drew us in. Sometimes we think, um, you know, we get a sense that someone is seeking or we, we might think that someone, gee, they would make a great Christian or it would be easy for them to become Christian. It's actually not true, is it? The Bible just keeps reminding us. Uh, Romans chapter 3 makes it really, really obvious. There is no one who seeks God. God must do a a powerful work by his grace and his mercy uh, to turn someone around uh, so that they might see the Lord Jesus. Left to ourselves, we would not be followers of Jesus. We're so opposed to God, so content to just go our own way. God has to actually crack us open. And so what does that mean? I think what that means is when you see someone coming close, this is all from our perspective, you've got to thank God for it, haven't you? You've got to say, what a miracle that is. I mean, that that is even the case for us today, isn't it? What a miracle that we are here. Um, Gee, on our trip, uh, lots and lots and lots of people think there's a much better thing to do on a Sunday morning than come face-to-face with the living God and his people. And that is a great sadness, isn't it? Ignorant, uh, obsessed with other things. Uh, God has drawn us in and shown us uh, his loving favour. And maybe that's even the case for you today. If you're still discovering who Jesus is um, and been encouraged by a friend, that is a great work of God too, isn't it? That God has brought you. And, and that's something to take really seriously, to, to actually re- recognise God is at work in your life and you should respond to that. You should not take that for granted. You should not presume on that. Make the most of that. Respond to that uh, as we recognise God in our midst. Now, third thing uh, from this passage, I reckon, is true conversion means a new understanding of Jesus. Uh, so that, again, is undeniably the case for Saul, isn't it? Uh, he thought he was friends with God. He thought, actually, Jesus was a blasphemer. He thought Jesus was a false Christ, a fraud. Uh, he'd, he'd probably heard of Jesus and his miracles and his teaching, uh, but he'd written Jesus off. And what had changed, well, confronted by Jesus, he now realised something very powerful and very life-changing. Jesus is actually the Messiah. Jesus is actually the king. He's not a fraud. He's not a blasphemer. Jesus really is God's chosen king. And if he's really God's chosen king, then he needs to be my king. That's, that's the realisation, isn't it? That's the right response as we recognise who Jesus is. I actually need to give up allegiances to everyone else 
anything else. There's nothing more important. No one has more of a claim over my life. Jesus is the one I must give my life to. Jesus is now in charge. That's what it means to become a Christian, isn't it? And what, what better person to be in charge than the loving, merciful, uh, sacrificial Jesus who lays down his life for us? It, it's what it, what it means to be Christian, submitting yourself to the lordship of Jesus, recognising who Jesus is. That's, that's really the key, isn't it? Who is Jesus? If Jesus is the king, then I own my life. Now, I can't help uh, putting a plug here for Simply Christianity again, um, because that's what Simply Christianity is about, isn't it? It's, it's actually about coming and working out who is Jesus. Uh, who is Jesus? Is Jesus the person that he says he is? Is he the risen king? And what does it mean to follow him? So make sure you take up that opportunity. If it's you, um, come along to the Tuesday night dinner course or Sunday uh, in a couple of weeks' time. It'd be great to have you along or maybe it's come with a friend. There's a reminder for you. Uh, Because a lot of people miss out on Christianity and miss out on becoming a Christian because they get Jesus wrong. They actually miss who Jesus is and actually miss what does it mean to follow him, what does it mean to be Christian, what is even what is church about. They actually have an inferior view of being Christian, inferior view of Jesus, inferior view of church. And I'm kind of not surprised that they don't want anything to do with being Christian. Now, I met a guy like this on our trip. Uh, we were coming back from the Great Barrier Reef, so we're really blessed to have a trip out to the Great Barrier Reef with the family. Uh, and on the way back... I, I was in a very relaxed state on the deck of the sailing boat that took us back from the Great Barrier Reef. Um, I was so relaxed, I thought someone could say anything to me or do anything to me that it, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't care. That was not the case, uh, because a man came, plonked himself next to me. We had a great chat. I told him I was a pastor. But then he decided to tell me complete nonsense about Christianity. Um, so the mood of... The relaxed mood of that part of the boat <laughs> changed quite quickly. And basically when it came down to it, we had a great conversation, but basically when it came down, he said to me, I think, he said, I think, he, he basically told me why he's not a Christian, because half his family were Christians and the other half were atheists or agnostics. And he said to me, I think if some people feel the need to go to church for friends or for some guidance in life, then good for them but it's not for me. And that's what I, I started to perk up a bit. <laughs> I thought, that's not what Christianity is, isn't it? That's not who Jesus is. If that's your view of Christianity, well, you guys don't need extra friends, do you? <laughs> There's plenty of friends in the world, plenty of people who don't know Jesus have friends. Uh, why would you bother? Uh, do you need guidance? He didn't need guidance. He seemed to have his life together. Uh, No, no, I said to him, I'm a Christian because I actually believe Jesus is who he says he is. Uh, That's why I follow Jesus. Uh, I take that really seriously. And I think following Jesus is great. Uh, So we we had an extended conversation, but you can see, if you don't recognise who Jesus is, um, you won't turn to him. You won't even think you need to turn to him. You won't even think it's a good thing to turn to him. Uh, but recognising that he is the king, uh, the best king for us to follow. 
we should turn to him. Last point uh, for, for this morning. God is building his church through human instruments. I think that's the, the last thing that, that I want to draw out from this passage. The very obvious instrument, of course, in this passage is Saul, isn't it? God's going to use him greatly as the, uh, the gospel goes out to the nation. But did you notice there are other instruments in this passage? Uh, less famous ones. Uh, Lois alluded to one earlier, Ananias. Ananias is a key player. Ananias is an instrument in God's hands. He only appears here for a brief moment. He's, he's not famous, uh, but he, play, he played an important role, didn't he? Uh, what did he do? He, he had a hard job. He actually had to trust God uh, when he had that fearful meeting with Saul. He had to put aside his fears, his insecurities. He actually had to listen to God, recognise God has got a plan. Um, I will trust God in this. Uh, and what is the result? Well, the result is that Saul becomes a Christian. It's an, it's an incredible part of God's plan. But it's actually how God works right throughout the scriptures. It's actually how God works today, isn't it? Uh, using very ordinary, sinful, frail people like us to bring about his plans and purposes. Um, someone to invite, someone to pray, someone to give, um, someone to bring. Uh, you see it happening in Acts. And the church is full of those people. We're all one of those people playing our part in the building of the kingdom. And on that last day in heaven, uh, there'll be uh, a whole host of people who've played their part, given their time, given their money, their, their gifts, their whatever it is to building in whatever small way you thought it was. Impossible to know how that would all work out in the building of God's church. So can I just can I encourage you this morning to be an Ananias, uh, to trust God, to follow its instructions as God is building his church, to actually take up your part or continue to take up your part, no matter how small it is. Uh, don't, don't leave it for someone else. God has given you a role. God has given you people. Uh, God has given you things to do. Uh, make sure that you take that role up. And if you're wondering, I, I've, I've got no clue what that is, please come and talk to one of us. Uh, it'd be great to sit down and talk about how you can play your part in the building of God's kingdom. Don't worry if you feel ill-equipped or weak. I remember what God says in Corinthians, we are the, the clay pots, the jars that look ordinary, frail, uh, but what's inside is a precious gospel, isn't it? Uh, that's, we are the message bearers to the world. Uh, we are God's instrument in, in God's hands uh, for his good purpose. And so we've just got to get on and do it. And we've got to get on and keep doing it. That's how God builds his church. Don't think there's another plan. This is actually the plan of God, isn't it? There's no plan B. We're it.